Hello, and welcome to the first ever Blazer-focused podcast hosted by myself, Aaron Fentress. I cover the Trailblazers for the Oregonian and Oregon Live. For those of you who don't know much about me, let me give you a little rundown of my history. This is my first full-time run covering the Blazers. I've covered them in small doses here and there over the years, but never as the full-time writer for the team during an entire season, which is a little daunting since they play so many games and I'm used to covering football where you play anywhere from 12 to maybe 18 if you cover an NFL team into the playoffs, which I have done with the Seahawks. The Blazers is one of the few beats that I've Never covered full-time, actually, in, in my long career, most of which has been at the Oregonian. This is my second stint with the Oregonian and OregonLive.com. I worked there back before there was a .com, before there was an internet, actually. Uh, so it's interesting to come a full circle this time around. But man, I've covered crime, uh, courts, including homicides, murder trials, things like that, on through to education, to county government, city government, then to high school sports. I covered Portland State football and basketball. I covered University of Portland soccer. I covered minor league baseball when the Portland Beavers were in town. I covered the Mariners and MLB for a few years. I've covered the Seahawks and NFL off and on, probably a total of six years mixed in there. And um, for the most part, starting in 2004 and then, you know, Coming off of the beat sometimes and going back on, I've covered Oregon, primarily football. I think I've covered Oregon full-time uh, 10 years and then part-time three years where I wasn't full-time on the beat, but I would chip in here and there and still cover the team. Uh, and I've covered Oregon basketball as well, including their trip to the Final Four. So I've covered both national title runs uh, that ended in defeat. I covered Mariota's Heisman season, obviously, and then I covered the uh, football team, excuse me, the basketball team's run to the Final Four in 2017. And I think that's it. No, oh, almost forgot. I also covered the Portland Lumberjacks indoor professional lacrosse team. Yeah, that was awesome. Actually, that was a lot of fun to cover. I covered them for their final two years of existence. Uh, so anyway, I'm looking forward to this Blazers season. It's going to be a, an interesting new chapter in my career. Very intrigued by this team. Um, you have a major superstar in Damian Lillard, who's actually a real joy to cover. He's great with the media. Extremely, um, he, he just... Whenever he gives an interview, you know, he doesn't give you a simple answer. He gives you a very in-depth, uh, personal view. He's a very genuine, uh, star to cover. I've covered some not so genuine stars. Uh, he is definitely one of the genuine ones. So he's very interesting, uh, to cover. I look forward to following his uh, activity this entire season. Um, this is also a very deep and versatile roster. So far, everyone has been great to deal with. A uh, very interesting cast of characters, and it's going to be a fascinating season. Along the way during the year, you know, in, in this space, I will bring you guest interviews each week. Hopefully, um, we will break down the news and trends and whatever's going on with the team as we follow this long journey. 72 games, man. It's going to be shorter than usual, but still a long journey, something I'm not used to covering. Uh, and of course, along the way, I'll have Joe Freeman on periodically. Uh, probably almost every show actually, because he works with me at the Oregonian and Oregon Live and he has covered the Blazers for about 14 years. So he is our resident Blazer guru to be sure. So during my reporting journeys, um, I've been able to cover a lot of fascinating athletes. I have this weird claim I can throw out there sometimes. I'm not sure if it's 100% true, 
but I think it might be. I covered every single one of Marcus Mariota's games at Oregon. And I think outside of Oregon employees, I might be the only person to be able to make that claim. I know for a fact that no other working journalist outside of Oregon who have their own in-house uh, writers for their website covered every game. That's a fact. Um, I know I'm pretty 100% positive his parents didn't go to every game. I know for a fact Phil Knight didn't go to every game, so I think I might be the only one. So <laughs> it's just a little little claim to fame. I like I like to uh, brag about it just because it's just kind of a weird little uh, you know accomplishment. That's not really accomplishments, but just a real little thing I like to throw out there. But anyway, I covered Michael James, I covered Royce Freeman, so many great athletes at Oregon, and one in particular that I covered was Jordan Kent, who uh, after becoming a track star and a basketball star at U of O. Turned to football back in, oh my goodness, 2005. So I covered him then, and then I covered him. And actually, when he got drafted into the NFL, it was the same year I started covering the Seahawks. So I covered his journey with the Seahawks there for a couple of years. And then we I wasn't covering him for a while. And then we ended up hooking back up together as co-workers at uh, NBC Sports Northwest, working on a show called Talking Ducks and other duck shows. Um, anyway, and we became good buddies and he was gracious enough to come on this podcast and, uh, talk about his career, his journey to his new job, which is being the play by play TV announcer for the trailblazers. So it's like we, I covered him then we parted, then we worked together, then we parted. And now we've come together on the same uh, team in different capacities, obviously. So Jordan Kent is my first interview here on the Blazer podcast, uh, Blazer Focus podcast, excuse me. And it's 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 a good interview. We, we have a lot of fun with this. Uh, we talk about everything from, you know, our, our my first days covering him on through to uh, this, this situation now where we're both uh, working, not together, but close uh, in proximity on the same beat. So listen and enjoy. Thank you. All right, Blazer fans, when I was assigned this new Blazer Focus podcast, I had to start thinking of some guests to have on. There were a lot of options, as you can imagine. I mean, I was working the phones, talking to people all over the world. I had Beyonce interested. I had Barack Obama interested. But I was like, no, there's only one man who needs to be, must be, has to be my first ever guest on this podcast. And that's my main man. Jordan Kent, the new play-by-play TV announcer for the Portland Blazers. He and I go way back to when I covered him at Oregon in basketball and in football, which we're going to talk about here in a minute. Jordan Kent, welcome in to the Blazer Focus Podcast as my first guest. I'm so honored to have you, sir. Hey, hey, Ron, it's great to be here, man. You know I had to come in with that. Hey, thanks a lot for having me. Looking forward to your work. Congratulations on the beat and getting a chance to do this podcast. And I am honored that, according to your ranks, I sit higher than Beyonce and Barack Obama. I don't think the rest of the country would agree with that necessarily, but all that matters is I, I sit that well with you. The state of Oregon would definitely agree with that. <laughs> I don't know. Beyonce concert or talking to me for a half hour. That's a toss up. J- JK, man. JK. So let's, let's start off just a little intro. I mean, people, most people know who you are, obviously, but first things first, congratulations are in order. You and Tiffany, your awesome, amazing, beautiful wife just had your second son, Landon, six weeks ago. Now you have two boys, 
Calvin, who's two, Lannon, who's six weeks old. I think I told you this in a text. I want to buy stock in your children already because <laughs> one of them, at least one, is going to be a pro athlete. Odds are going to be there because Tiffany's a little bit of an athlete too, right? Did she play some sports? She is, bit? yeah. She was swimming, lacrosse, swimming. and she's really good with long-distance running. She's ran a marathon before, and she does yoga. So she excels in all the sports that I really struggle at, and so it's a really good balance that we have together. That's what I'm talking about. So <laughs> when it, when's the IPO coming out? <laughs> Because I will help pay for training, I will, for food, as long as I can get in on the ground floor and they start going pro. <laughs> but anyway, congratulations. How's fatherhood treating you? Oh, thanks, man. Fatherhood's been great. We found out she was pregnant about a month before quarantine started. So mm-hmm. we've dealt with pregnancy throughout this entire pandemic. And going through that process just obviously put a lot more things on her plate to consider. But fortunately, Landon came here. He was safe. He was healthy, born November 1st. Being a father is a remarkable challenge. It's a lot of fun, and it's so rewarding. And I'm so grateful that I can be present for both the boys because when you accept this play-by-play job, you understand there's a significant amount of travel during the year, and you're typically gone 78 to 80 days per year. And with this season being so unique and no travel as of right now, of course, Obviously, it's a disappointment because you want to spend time around the team. And it's great to travel and do these games in these packed arenas, I imagine. But the consolation of being home with your boys at these ages, two years old and six weeks old, is huge. And so really grateful that we can still capitalize on that. All the credit in the world goes to my wife. She's amazing. She's incredible. And it's just been fun to slow down as a family. We've been having to really be very careful during this time and to have a pandemic on your mind as you're going through pregnancy is crazy. But we've talked about how my wife and I have earned our parenting merit badges in 2020. (laughs) I mean, you're doing this two babies. You can't just run out and go to dinner anywhere at any time. You can't just have any babysitter come over either. So we know that eventually when we get on the other side of this, it's going to be that much easier, but we're enjoying everything. So thank you, Aaron. Fatherhood has been terrific. That's awesome. And I look forward to when travel gets back to normal so you and I can hook up in some town somewhere and we can go out and just turn the town loose <laughs> like with a five o'clock dinner and then a six <laughs> o'clock movie and we're both in our own rooms in bed by eight because you, you and I are the two of the biggest squares on the planet. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, I hope Salt Lake City doesn't run out of Diet Pepsi when we get there. <laughs> I know, exactly. <laughs> Oh, man. Okay. So let, let's go back to, to college days real quick because I have to tell my, my Jordan Kent story I love to tell. So I covered you in basketball, and you were a defensive nuisance. Like, you'd run around with your bony elbows and bony kneecaps and just bother people. And then you – and you of course, obviously, you were a dominant track star. And then you went out for football. And so everyone, the, the announcement came out. And of course, everyone in the media is like, ah, Jordan Kent, blah, blah, blah. He's, He's a skinny, you know, track basketball guy. He can't play football. And I was like – Mm, you know, this is going to be intriguing. I want to see him play first. So fall camp comes around and I was like, just all I, I was just focused on you the entire time because I want to see what you look like. Meanwhile, the media, that's back when we watch practice. Everyone's standing around like, ah, Jordan, once he gets hit, he's going to quit. I'm like, Jordan's not a quitter. You know, I don't think Jordan's that kind of guy. Ah, oh, he's never going to make it to, to the first game. He's never going to play. He's never going to. So I started making bets, like $1 bets, $5 bets, $2 bets with all these people in the media. I made like, I only ended up making like net like 15 bucks on this, but I made like eight, nine, 10 bets with people. And people, even people in the, in the department thought I was crazy, right? And I'm like, 
dude, the guy is six foot four, <laughs> runs a four four, right? <laughs> is is not. I mean, just because he ran track and played basketball doesn't make him soft, right? He's smart. Like I, I think there's great potential here. And so after a couple practices, I started announcing Jordan Kent is going to be in an NFL training camp. Ah, mm. oh, Finches, you're crazy. Like, I'm just telling you, as someone who played wide receiver, as someone who's coached football, that guy's going to be in the, in the NFL. So, so there was this one play in camp where you ran a deep route and the ball, you were looking to your right and the ball went over your shoulder to your left and you drifted to it effortlessly. Like the way you, that's one of the toughest catches in football. You drifted to it, you stuck your arms out and you just missed it. And people were like, ah, oh, he dropped that one. I'm like, that was actually a good drop. And so <laughs> I, I coined the phrase good drop. All season, people were mocking me about this phrase. But my point was the way you adjusted to the ball so effortlessly, given that you never really played football, was a sign to me that you were going to get this, that you just had the knack for it. And then, of course, you went on to play some that year. You caught that huge touchdown at Washington State from Dixon. And I was in the press box just talking mad trash. I was like, uh-huh, what I tell y'all? And then the next year you started – and then you got drafted by the Seahawks, my man, Jordan. And then you made the team and actually played in the league. So I just want to go back to just real quickly, just not we have to go. Everyone knows the story about you, but just that process for you and what you learned the most about yourself, just making it to the NFL as a football player, only playing two years of college football, never playing in high school. It was one of the hardest decisions of my life because I had to come to the realization that I wasn't going to have any type of substantial basketball career because you had no jumper. Well, I had a jumper. <laughs> I just didn't have the right mindset on the court because right. the jumper somehow left me from high school to college. I don't know if it's because I started bench pressing and lifting weights <laughs> or whatnot, but you're, you're right. I couldn't shoot as a shooting guard and that doesn't work out too well if you want to try and go to the NBA right. and for track. It, Track isn't one of those sports, as you know, that you can be top 100 in college or top 50 or top 30 in college and go and make a really substantial career. You have to be top three in the world in your event, right. essentially, to make a living at it. And you can't just make up one second in the 200 by, I'm going to go out and practice harder. It's like, you either got it or you don't. And you can only get so much juice out of that orange, as I like to say. Right. So. I looked at football as an opportunity to challenge myself. I always wanted to play, but it just never timed up right in high school, or I was just way too skinny back in the day when it was more approachable. And I just felt, hey, this is crazy, but I'll take something out of this. Obviously, you want to get to the highest level you possibly can when you do it. But for me, I was just looking at the process rather than the destination. And I just remember every single day I went out to practice, I always focused on three things to get better at. And that could be, hey, on my out route, I'm going to make sure I flatten it at the top and don't drift up field. Or when I try to catch a ball over my shoulders, I'm going to make sure I keep my pinkies together. So those three things and really approaching it from a bite size component and not trying yeah. to look at this grandiose picture of, oh my gosh, I have to work on all these skills. It can be overwhelming. It's okay. Let me just work on these three things per day until I feel like I've got a decent grasp of it. Cause I know those other skills will develop as I'm focusing on those three. And then I told myself, if I'm going to do this, I'm not going to let anybody outwork me. So I remember getting out to practice first before everyone else and catching one or 200 passes from the jugs machine with the managers and sticking around after practice when everyone left to catch one or 200 balls from the jugs machine or to work with Nate Costa, who is the third string quarterback in all your routes. And I just said, hey, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to work as hard as I can. And I found a lot of joy in putting in that extra effort. And what I learned from that whole experience was 
you have to be very aware of just tuning things out, especially when you're starting something in the beginning, because you're going to make a lot of mistakes. You can't compare yourself to other people. And a lot of the criticism you might receive in those early stages is coming from people that aren't the decision makers. And if you listen to all that and try to absorb all that, it can be overwhelming. It can be very discouraging at the beginning. And so going through that process with football and just being patient and going about it at my pace and not comparing myself to other juniors playing in college at that time or the stats of other guys, I realized I'm going to go in my own pace, my own direction. I had a sense as I was playing football that, okay, I feel like I can pick this up. I was making enough plays here and there where the concept of catching a deep ball over my shoulder didn't seem foreign someday. It was just a matter of getting enough reps and live action to where the game would start to slow down. And once it did, that's when things started to click because with basketball, you got used to reading defenses. You knew what man-to-man or zone was and where the soft spots and zone coverage were just by being on a basketball court and playing soccer as a kid. And obviously, I think playing track or running track really helped me because that's usually the biggest hurdle for, I think, a lot of hoopers that want to play football is they might not have the foot speed to get open on some of those routes. But you know how to accelerate. You know how to sink in and out of your brakes. And just refining all those things was a really enjoyable process because you saw rapid improvement because you were so new to the game. And that was encouraging where, hey, one week I couldn't run a corner route and get open. The next week I can run it, get open and catch it over my shoulder. And that's exciting. And just going about that at my own pace was really important because it taught me whenever I take on something new in my life later, just to tune out all those distractions, go about it at your own pace, put in that work. And that really paid off. And then lastly, I think Aaron being in those NFL training camps, Let's be honest. Let's set the perspective. <laughs> NFL is nothing like war or battle. Like obviously you're putting your body on the line, but there are very serious professions out there that are doing very meaningful work. But the atmosphere of an NFL training camp where you can get cut at any time, you don't have that scholarship parachute, as I like to say, where you have to dial it up mentally and physically day after day during training camp builds a tremendous amount of mental strength, in my opinion, where you can put in all these weeks and months of preparation and you have to deliver on a split second play and you might get six or eight balls thrown your way in a preseason and you've got to make those count. That's a tremendous amount of pressure and learning how to process and deal with that and not let it crush you is very valuable for anything in life. So yes, my NFL career was nothing to brag about as far as I think one catch for five yards. But for me, I I made it. And there's so many guys that don't even get a chance to make that roster that looking back, it's just unbelievable that I was able to have that journey. And I'm so grateful for all the lessons I learned from it. Nice. Love it. And I covered, uh, see, I think I switched to the Seahawks beat the year you got drafted. So I covered you there for a couple of years uh, when you were with the Seahawks. Okay. So moving on, we, I didn't, I mean, I maybe saw you around here or there for a while. And then all of a sudden I go to NBC Sports Northwest in 2013 and we start, yeah, I started doing Talking Ducks with you and Newman and Harrington, which was some of the most fun I've ever had professionally. You know, we, we developed, basically developed characters. You were the straight man keeping everything orderly. <laughs> you know, uh, Joey was sort of the, the stoic, you know, um, intellectual, 
who would never say anything bad about Oregon, but sometimes if he wanted to, he would just refrain like from making a pick if he thought Oregon was going to win. Then there was Newman, <laughs> who was just wild and crazy and the enforcer. And then there was the intruder, <laughs> Aaron Fangers, the reporter who didn't play in Oregon, who wasn't a former NFL player. It was just this big, bad reporter who would say all these mean things about the Ducks. And we just had this great stick going. It was so much fun. I really missed doing that show. Those are some of the greatest years of talking Ducks just because you look at how well the team was playing. It goes to show you that balance is very important on those conversation shows. As much as we all love Oregon, myself, Joey, and Anthony, you can't just have a show that is all homers. You want some conflict. You want some topics of conversation that allow for debate back and forth. And that's what you're so good about bringing to the table. Now, the one thing, though, in all those years (laughs) we've done that show, that I still to this day can't believe you're on this side of the fence of was when we covered the Ducks in the national semifinal on the Rose Bowl. They were taking on Florida State. And we have had this conversation leading up to this game about In-N-Out Burger down in Southern California. I get In-N-Out Burger every single time I go down there. You have the gall. The absolute gall to say that Burger King was better than In-N-Out, that you would take a Whopper over In-N-Out Burger. All and day, so every day. We shot a feature where we go to In-N-Out Burger. You tried one fresh off the grill, yet you still just wanted a 15-minute-old Whopper sitting underneath a heat lamp <laughs> given to you in some greasy bag. Mm, this is good. All day, every day. Well, uh, we got to find that video. That's got to be somewhere. That was that was classic. Uh, but no, that was, that was a lot of fun doing that show. One thing I always remember, too, is that no matter what I would say before we went to break, like it could be, it could be like I had all I had the intel, I had to break down the stats. But if it was anything remotely negative about Oregon, even if it was right, as we went to break, you would have the last word and just say something to almost pour water over my head as we went to break. No one I could, no one I couldn't say anything to come back at you, and you would just do it with a smile. And I'd be sitting there going. Dang it, that Jordan. Well, it's the power of being the host. I don't get to talk a whole lot during the segments because you guys, obviously, as the analysts, have your room to talk. But you're right. No matter what you would say, even as justified as it was, I'm going to put a positive spin on it because Duck fans want to sit there and feel good about their team as they watch the show. So Aaron would say something (laughs) concrete and true. Well, the Oregon defense has certainly got some issues as they gave up 500 yards of total offenses last <laughs> week. They got to retool some things. Well, that's great, Aaron, but the Oregon offense is playing well, and fans just like to see those guys out there giving a good, strong effort, and they're doing well in the classroom. All right, stick around when we come back. I'm talking to <laughs> Just be like, oh my God, no, come back. Don't go to break. <laughs> oh, but it, it's, it was very it was good fun. balance. And also, it was. I do have to apologize. Because of our time on Talking Ducks, I kind of ruined your life for a little bit because <laughs> you and I would always talk about the Keen Peel show and oh yeah, I the know. skit with the substitute you teacher. Me. That I didn't was know about it. Mo- you turned me on to it. Yeah, yeah, it was one of the most popular sketch comedy shows, kind of 2011, 12, 13, I think maybe even 14. And there's that one skit with the substitute teacher who's mispronouncing the names, and he says a Aaron. And all the errands in America just had their lives ruined. So I would introduce you as A.A. Ron Fentress. I didn't think it was going to stick that much, but you would tell me you would go to Oregon oh. games to cover the team and just left and right. Hey, A.A. Hey, hey, Ron, what's up? A.A. Hey, hey, Ron. 
Dude, supermarkets, malls, <laughs> uh, gas station attendants, um, the power of television is just crazy. Uh, I was walking through the mall one day with my daughter, and I was like, I've seen like four or five Duck fans check me out. And she, she's like, no one's looking at you. <laughs> Two seconds later, some guy goes, hey, A-Ron. <laughs> my daughter was like, you got to be kidding me. That didn't just happen. Vis- parking lots at Cal, at USC, at ASU, walking through past Duck fans, hey, A-Ron. So yeah, you you definitely did uh, give me that that name, and it, it was I always thought it was kind of fun. And do you still get it people, to this day at all? Uh, I do. It okay. does. It does come up. Not quite as much, right? Because we stopped. We didn't like someone. I think told you to stop doing it the last year or something like that. No, well, or, that's a different story. As far as who told me to stop doing it, I don't think <laughs> they held much gravity. Their opinion didn't really sway my decision making of how I was going oh, okay. to address you on this show. I know that none of my employers had a problem with it. That's the important okay, yeah. thing. I, we liked it. It was a great stick. It was fun. It was fun. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> now so you 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 know you did the hosting thing for a while and then you started doing the Nintendo play by play and all that led into uh Calabro leaves the Blazers and then boom you're the play by play guy for the bubble sessions which had to be odd because you did them from here. You couldn't even go down there and do them. But t- talk about the moment you got the call, the moment you got the offer, and then all of a sudden you're calling NBA basketball games. <laughs> <laughs> so I was upstairs playing choo-choos with Calvin on June 30th. <laughs> Brio choo-choos, by the way. Those are the top quality ones. And I get a text from Jeff Curtin, our director of broadcasting, who's basically my boss. And it's, hey, do you have a second to talk? And Aaron, I've been dumped enough in high school and college that when you get the <laughs> can we talk or do you have a second to chat text, your heart sinks. You're like, well, I had a good run. That was fun because this is the summer and you know we've been seeing all sorts of things happen in the sports entertainment industry, things getting hacked off left and right. right. So you have no idea and you figure, all right, well, it was fun while it lasted. And I give him a call immediately and he says, yeah, so... Kevin Calabro is going to retire, and we want to know if you want to do the play-by-play for the bubble game starting in four weeks. And just like when I was offered my opportunity to host Talking Ducks back in 2011, and they asked if I could do it, and I lied and said yes. Same thing. (laughs) Yeah. Jordan can lie. And it was one of those things where, obviously, at that moment, I knew that I had to prepare a lot, but you're not going to let an opportunity like that pass you up and for them to even the trailblazers to have the confidence in you to approach you with that responsibility really meant a lot so for me i just channeled a lot of what i experienced in football to be honest aaron where you're thinking about okay i've got some experience doing this as far as calling the esports games and that action, right. believe it or not, is even faster than NBA basketball. Dude, that, action. I, I, I listened to some of your calls on that. I'm like, what the hell is Jordan talking about? Well, it's the vernacular also. <laughs> when you're talking about Splatoon and things are happening left and right, and you're saying, all right, he's flanking to the left with a splatter shot. He throws a burst bomb. He's trying to get on top of the tower. Yeah. Oh, no, here comes the Rainmaker. <laughs> it's stuff you don't talk about in your normal right. everyday language. And so. Right. Transitioning that to basketball, where you followed the sport since you were five years old, you've played the sport, you've watched every kind of broadcaster you can think of. To me, it just became a more intentional approach where, okay, instead of actually listening to the broadcaster, you're absorbing everything they say and you're trying to figure out what the art is to it. And I called a lot of different play by play guys I'd worked with as an analyst and picked their brains. So looking at uh, Paul Sunderland. 
Kevin Calabro, of course, talked to Mike Barrett, and I'm sure there's a bunch of other guys I'm forgetting. So uh, Rich Burke as well, too, Pac-12 Network's Jim Watson. Um, and it was just really nice to hear from them. Here's what you want to consider. Think about this. Less is more. Paint the story. Just all these little nuggets that you jot down. And my training for doing this was similar to football. I'm going to break this up in bite-sized chunks. I started off by calling five minutes at a time on a mute YouTube screen, recording it on my phone and listening it back. Then I'd go to a quarter. Then I'd go to a half. Then I'd go to a game. You listen to it. You break it down. You say, okay, this sounds good. Or maybe I'm being a little redundant here. And you try to refine it all within this lens of this is my first year doing this. And a lot of these individuals you're listening to have done it for 10, 15, 20 years. It takes time in this industry to build up that phraseology. I had a good conversation with Ian Eagle after I got the job and a really great opportunity to pick his brain. And he just said it it takes time to build all these things up where all these phrases, all these words, all these adjectives just become second nature. Eventually, you'll stop having to think about them so much while you do it, but just give yourself patience and give yourself time and grace while you do it. So going into the bubble, I told myself, I'm not Kevin Calabro. He's a legend and he's his own individual. I'm I'm just myself. I'm going to be myself, but do it in a way that is hopefully entertaining for people at home watching the game. And I don't want to distract from the game or put the spotlight on myself. I want to enhance what's going on with the game. And going through the bubble, it was great. I got some wonderful feedback from our producer, Dan Hyatt, and little things that you would work on. And then when the summer was over, I just told myself, hey, I had as much fun as I could doing these bubble games. I did them in a way that if I were to hold this position for 20 years, this is the way I wanted to do it. And I was just so grateful that the team followed up and trusted me with the ball on the mound, as I like to say. And moving forward, I just want to make the games entertaining for the fans. And I've just been really grateful to have this gig. One of the things about you is you are a super positive person. You know, no, I mean, I, I say that as a compliment. You, you, you are a very positive person. So, like during the blowout loss at Denver, <laughs> I was really interested <laughs> to hear how you were going to handle that the preseason game. And you, your demeanor when Lillard McCullum were out of the game is the fourth quarter, and they were down, they get blown out, was the exact same as it was the first two minutes before the game was a runaway. Uh, how, do you, how do you mentally get yourself in that space or stay in that space no matter what course the, the game is on? I look at it as a player, and you view the whole season as a whole, and you look at each game as a perspective. During the regular season, each game is one of 82. And you've oftentimes heard players say you don't get up, you don't get too down after any particular game. But also, just with the lens of it's the preseason. And if I'm a Blazer fan at home, I'm just happy that Trailblazers basketball is on again. So regardless of what the score is, I'm going to enjoy that. Now, of course, you want the team to play at their highest level possible. And if there's wrinkles on defense or offense, you hope that the team irons those out. But I think it's important to maintain that composure throughout the broadcast and not get too down. I think getting up is great during those high moments. You absolutely want to, but it's my job, I feel like, to help the product look as entertaining, as enjoyable as possible, regardless of what the score is. And I think by staying measured throughout and being able to hit those high points of highlight plays, of course, really 
helps balance things out for the length of the season because it's a long season. We're going to be doing a lot of games together, so I don't think there's that time to get down on a performance. Now, of course, there might be moments that pop up during a season where it is going to be hard. Say a player gets injured or you just have those rare, bizarre things that happen over the course of a season where a team deals with adversity. But when it comes to blowout losses, you just keep an even keel demeanor because there's always a game the next day or the next 48 hours, it feels like, and you don't have time to get hung up on the current one because you got to get ready for the next one. Right. Okay. What what um, were some of your favorite phrases you came up with at the bubble? That, <laughs> give me give me two that you were like, yeah, that was good. And then two, when you heard it back, maybe you heard it back later if you rewatched it, you're like, yeah, that was bad. So <laughs> the one that jumped out to me, which was retweeted by Shaq and a Fool, was the first matchup against <laughs> Memphis. And a lot of these there, and I promise you, just come to the top of your head. There's a couple that might come to you during the day earlier that you'd maybe jot down. And this is part of that phraseology conversation that we've had where when you've been doing it for 15 years, you're going to have a bank of all these sayings and you know exactly when to go to and how to go to them. But for now, you kind of jot stuff down or I keep a thing of notes open in my phone when I get the idea for something and I'll see, okay, maybe this fits here. So anyway, against Memphis, Grayson Allen threw a half-court lob in transition and that thing just rifled off the backboard wasn't Mm -hmm. even close and you're calling the action it's like alan in transition throws up the lob oh but the backboard can't catch lobs and i didn't (laughs) think much of it at the time but one of my buddies i grew up with in california texted me after the game he said dude this is going viral did you see this and really you know apparently people liked it and so that was a good one and then i think if i had to redo one i don't really have any regrets on any particular one because i think when it comes to these sayings, if you say them with confidence, then mm. I think it come ac- comes across well. Now, obviously, there's certain lines you don't want to cross, but I've, if you think of all the great calls, some of the ones that stand out, and especially some from Kevin Harland, where it's, oh, Kobe Bryant with no regard for human life. Yeah, no, that it, was a great call, wasn't it? Yeah, when you <laughs> deliver it with that conviction and command, in my opinion, I think that's how you can make it sound cool but if there's trepidation or you don't commit to it fully if that makes sense like if you're going to commit to something out there commit to it all the way then i think it comes across well but yeah when you go through this there's going to be some things that work and some things that are duds and again you don't get hung up on it or too concerned about what other people think because i know individually my goal is to get better game after game and i feel right now that the games are very entertaining and I'm excited to continue to see my growth as well too. Yeah. At the end of the day, you want to be having fun as especially the, the hometown play by play guy. Let's move on to the team. Now, obviously they made a lot of moves this off season, trying to improve the defense. They brought in two guys, Robert Covington and Derek Jones, Jr. Two defensive minus guys, which is what you were playing for your dad at Oregon. What have you seen from them so far that you like And how do you think they're going to truly impact this defense? The thing that stood out to me about both Covington and Jones Jr. was they said you have to have a mentality when you play defense. And I think that's so true. Just like some of the greatest scorers have that killer instinct mentality on offense, I think great defenders have that mentality because it's a commitment every possession to doing something on that end of the floor where – it's one thing when you have the ball in your hand on offense to be active and involved, but on defense, when you don't have the ball in your hands, and especially when the man you're guarding doesn't have the ball, how locked in on defense are you? And 
what I see from them is their ability to defend multiple positions and then also create deflections. And deflections oftentimes really disrupt the rhythm of an offense when you feel like there aren't a lot of easy passes out there, that passing lanes are much tighter than they really are. And you know this in the NBA, Aaron. Your point guards are going to defend maybe ones and twos. Your centers are going to defend fives, maybe fours. And then your twos maybe might defend some threes, but they're going to stick to the ones and twos. The fours might defend fours and fives. Maybe if you've got a very athletic four, they can go defend threes. But Robert Covington, Derek Jones Jr. sort of that three combo four, and they can defend two, three, four. Or if they get switched on to a one, they can stay in front of them. That is huge because the pick and roll is such an important part of NBA basketball. And if you can have guys on the floor that give you the option to switch pick and rolls or to switch screens, that oftentimes is the most difficult defense to go against because you're not getting those mismatches and you're not getting situations where the defense now has to help and recover. So for that reason alone, I think their athleticism, their ability to defend multiple positions, and then their mindset of when they get on the defensive side of the floor – it's not an opportunity to catch your breath. When the ball's on the weak side, it's not an opportunity to straighten my legs and get out of my stance, not help. It's an opportunity to really contribute to this team. That, to me, is what is very exciting because they have all those tools that you look for in a great defender in size, athleticism, length, but then also the mentality of, I want to be a great defender. It's not like they're 6'9", 6'10", 6'8", guys that just want to shoot threes the whole time. They want to be great defenders. Okay. One other thing I want to talk to you about is, is Damian Lillard. So his, I think it was the second year when they beat Houston in the playoffs. And then I remember they were losing, they lost at home to San Antonio and he was giving a press conference and I was helping cover um, that series for NBC Sports Northwest. And I remember just sitting there listening to him talk. And I'm like, like I looked him up and I'm like, he's like 23, 24. And he sounded like he was like 35, 36. He was so introspective. He was so professional, so smart, uh, so accountable, um, so realistic. Like he, he was just an adult, you know, and, and in pro sports, we don't always see that. Sometimes you get kids who are maybe given too much too soon and the money gets to them and they can be a little, you know, aloof or whatever. But I was just so impressed with him. And this is five, six years ago. You as a, as a former athlete, as a professional athlete, and as someone who's, you know, been you were doing pregame and postgame for the Blazers. So you've gotten to know Dame a little bit. Uh, what 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 do you make of him as a young man and as an ambassador for this team, this town, this state, this league? Well, Lamar Hurd has said this before. I truly believe he's the best leader in all of sports, and he doesn't get that recognition. I think sometimes because of the Portland market. Listen, we're as far away from New York and the epicenter of the media market sometimes as we can be up here in Portland. But when you look at the way that he carries himself, Aaron on and off the floor and how genuine he is. There's nothing fake or inauthentic about what he says or the way that he carries himself. It is 100% real, coupled with the path he took. I think that really stands out to me. He wasn't a 19-year-old that came in, played one year at college, was picked as this all-star player from the beginning. He had to work his way up through not getting recruited and going to Weber State and then at Weber State going through an injury and finally getting drafted and then becoming Rookie of the Year and going that path and pledging his commitment and his allegiance to Portland when 
in the NBA, let's be honest, we've seen so many of these top 10 picks over the last six, seven, eight, nine years switch teams and switch franchises. It's rare, especially in the NBA. And when you have that type of commitment, those results, and that character, when you play on a team with somebody of that, where the best player is setting the example, you have no choice but to follow his lead in the way that you carry yourself or else you're going to get exposed very quickly. When your best player is the one that is setting those examples, then you have no excuse if you're not one of the top players on the team of not falling in line. And so what he means to Portland, again, I go back to the commitment where this is a unique fan base. This is a fan base that is rich on tradition follows this team, win or lose. And once again, we're sort of on this island in the NBA world because we're so far removed geographically from any other team. There's a lot of pride with Portland and the way that we've been able to just develop players and the way they continue to be connected to the community, especially since I think you know we had a time after the great run of the 90s where there wasn't that positive connection, let's be honest, between <laughs> the players in the community for a little while. Now that that's back, I-, I think fans just resonate with that so much, and they appreciate his loyalty. And you've seen that with CJ. You've seen that with Nurk. And I think it's admirable to see the players that this team has been able to keep over the years through this incredible stretch run of going to the playoffs in consecutive seasons. Because I think as much as teams want to make these big changes year after year and start from a new I think there's something to be said about consistency in the NBA and how by staying consistent you're going to give yourself those chances to pounce when the window opens the reason for this consistency is Damian Lillard his play his character and his leadership and I think this season more than ever Aaron when you look at the shortened schedule the shortened preseason the number of games they're trying to fit in the short amount of days consistency is going to be key and the Blazers one of the most consistent teams in the association, I think will be well poised to use some of that this year. Well said, well said. Okay, I'm going to leave it on this. Last, last topic, saving this one for last. One-on-one, $1,000 on the line, you and Lamar Heard, who wins? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, doesn't matter who wins. We're taking the money, splitting it, and giving it to oh, charity. Oh, you see what I'm saying? You see it's what I'm the saying truth, man. Right there? It's the you truth. This is Jordan right now, here. I, I would Me, say, I'd be like, I'm taking it. I'm taking Lamar to the right. Right. Well, <laughs> on, I, I'm going to be genuine here. Here's <laughs> the thing. I don't think Lamar and I would play right now because we like to keep our Achilles intact. To be honest, I think either one of just us would be once, messing just around. Just one time, just say I could take him. He don't want none of this. Just one time. For, <laughs> just give me some Jordan no, Kent trash talk. Uh, See, Jordan. Here's the thing, though. Jordan Kent. Jordan Kent off air when the cameras weren't on on the sit and talk and duck used to talk all sorts of trash. Oh, he'd make shit. all sorts of snu- he'd make all sorts shit. of comments, zingers, and he'd get me and they go oh, 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 and then have that innocent little smile and everything like that. But on camera, he will or on audio, he won't say anything. All right, I'm gonna ask Lamar. I'm gonna get a Lamar. You ask on Lamar. This podcast let me at some point tell you what. Let said. me know what Lamar says, and I'll let you know if I agree with it or not. All right, Jordan. I can't thank you enough for coming on, man. It's so good to to talk to you again in this capacity. I'm proud of you. I, I'm, I'm happy for you. You know, I love you, man. And I look forward to that time on the road when, like I said, we can go get it in and out and have that debate again at some point when we're able to travel again. Hey, hey, hey Ron, love you too, man. Appreciate it. Proud of you and so grateful for your friendship. Keep it going. And yes, when we can finally travel, we are going to get in and out burger and let you finally see the light. 
<laughs> All right. Thanks, Jordan. Yeah, no problem, man. We'll be right back after a short break. Now it's time for a quick Trailblazers season preview with myself and Joe Freeman. All right. Now on the Blazer podcast, Blazer Focus is what we call it. We're going to bring in for the first time Joe Freeman, who's going to be a recurring guest on this show because he is a Blazer guru. Sorry, I just have to call you that because, you know, you've been covering him for so long there, uh, Joe. What I want to talk about first with you is the now, start first of, of all, season. wait a second. Now, now I just feel old. <laughs> I feel like I'm, I'm like I'm I, like the Godfather. Is guru, or like, like, is guru too old? Is that too old sounding? Uh, guru's all right. I'll, I'll, guru's I'll, okay. I'll, yeah, guru's okay. I mean, you are 14 years in. Yeah. You know, yeah. That's I think over 10 years. That's that's yeah. You're old and you're a guru. I'm not graying yet though, <laughs> so I'm doing all right there. I guess. That's true. That's true. That, that, that's you have to tell us your secrets. Um, okay, so the Blazers are going to start this season with six. Seriously difficult games. Home Utah, home Houston. Then they're going to the Lake Show, Clippers, Golden State, Golden State for back-to-backs down there. I know. How much are we going to learn about this team, Joe, in these first six games? Well, I have a couple different thoughts on this. First of all, as you mentioned, I'm I'm old as dirt. So this isn't my first rodeo. <laughs> and I have learned uh, at this point that the first seven games, six games of the season in the grand scheme of things means very little. Uh, True. Usually they play 82. They're playing 72 this year. Uh, the, the schedule is, is going to be wild and it's going to come fast and furious no matter. Reminds me a lot of the lockout season of, of 2000. I think it was 2011 or 2010. And so it, it's going to be a, a mess in that regard. Um, but, you know, I do like that the team has an early test because there's a lot of hype about them. Their, their offseason has been lauded, uh, you know, around the NBA and, and from pundits alike. So uh, there's some expectations on them internally and externally. And I want to see how they're going to respond to that. Now, they do have a lot of new pieces. So you have to kind of cut them some slack because they're going to be integrating two new starters, multiple rotation players, Mello's, uh, you know, adjusting to coming off the bench, so on and so forth. So um, you add that into the mix of playing so many uh, ridiculous teams and, you know, just Houston at LA, both LA's and at golden state. uh, It's tough. So um, I've learned after all these years not to build too much or make too much out of the first uh, few games. I mean, let's not forget what happened just, uh, boy, I guess it was four years ago now when they went to the second round of the playoffs and they were 10 games under 500 in in January. So, um, you know, a lot can happen over the last two to three months of the season. But um, again, I do, I do like the test and it is important, I think, to get some early momentum because, we did see last year what uh, what a bad start, how how much that hand, can handicap you, and, and they were obviously impacted by injuries. But uh, even before then, they, they never really looked that great. Okay, so obviously, I mean, there's a 72-game season. This is only six games. That's true. But if they were to come out the gate two and four in this stretch, do you think that would mean anything at all? No, I mean, I mean, I think it would make the the natives restless, as they say. I think fans right. would start to get a little, uh, a little panic. But also, you know, what do they look like in that two and four? Did they lose on two buzzer beaters in L.A.? Yeah. Did that? You know what I mean? So, 
four of the games are on the road. So, so that obviously makes that more challenging. Um, and again, it, it, I, I need to see how they look, how they play. Uh, it's going to take a little bit of time, I think, for these new pieces to gel. Um, historically, guys have, have played pretty well and fit in pretty well alongside Dame and CJ. But, uh, you know, between the new guys and the new roles and Nurkic coming back and Rodney Hood coming back, you know, you wonder uh, mixing them and, and Nurkic played in the bubble, of course, but uh, it'll right. it'll be slightly different at this point. So, I don't, you know, I, I think you'd like to see them go 500. Ideally, yeah. 500 or better at this stretch would, would be a success. Um, now, if they get blown out in those four games by 15, 20 points each, then, you know, there's some there's some Cancel red flags. Christmas. Cancel Christmas. Well, Christmas will be after game game one, so you, it's too late. They will already have, we already enjoyed one. that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, wait. Are, are you putting much stock into the first six games? Uh, I mean, I'm only, I'm going to just because they'll make my mindset all geared up for the first six games. I'll treat it, you yeah. know, like maybe more than it is just to be in that mode because I really want to see what this team is about. But no, I mean, as long as they don't go one and five, if they go two and four, and they're competitive in those four. Most of the four, they lose. I don't think it's a big deal because I think these games are almost all of them are coin tosses or, I mean, I think they're going to be the dog in, in both LA games. Um, but if they go three and three, I think that's like you said, I think that's, that's what you want to see. I think that's a huge positive sign. If they go four and two, then we're, we're playing the parade. Right. So, you know, I, I think, you, I, I think you go into it thinking, yeah, we're going to learn a lot, but you take it with a grain of salt as long as they don't go one and five or go two and four and get blown out three times. Now, the yeah, good news, and also, though, you, you know, uh, sorry to cut you off, but I no, mean, okay. looking at, the Clippers and the Lakers are breaking in, you know, new players too. Yes. Uh, these teams are yeah. also going through the same the same sort of a thing. Houston's a mess, so yeah. y- y- who knows what's going to be going Harden's on there? Huge. Ooh, oh my like gosh! Yeah, I mean, we both stay dealing with no clay, you know, so they got to figure right. those things out too. Yeah. Now, the good news is after the six game stretch, they go my Bulls. That should be a win at home. That, you couldn't see that at home, but there was an eye roll that accompanied that pause. <laughs> That's because of the, they're my team, and I'm worried about them already. So the Bulls, T-Wolves, Sacramento, then a tough game against Toronto, and then Sacramento. So for the next five, after that six-game stretch, all very winnable. Uh, so we'll see how that works out. Okay, now let's shift gears to uh, our season predictions. Now, these you know, NBA, like you said yourself, long season. I always reserve the right to change my NBA predictions no, <laughs> at about at about oh the midway point, or when I feel like yeah everything I said the first you know at the beginning of the season was wrong is when I want to change everything. But just for funsies, for you know entertainment purposes, mm-hmm. let's uh, let's just give our predictions mainly on what the Blazers are going to do this season and where they're going to finish. I'll put you know put it on you a little bit here, put you on the spot. Where do you think they're going to finish in the Western Conference? Well, as we've talked about uh, on on our on our videos, Aaron, I I love the off season additions that the Blazers uh, have right. made, and and you know Rocco was the perfect guy to add to this team. You love Derek Jones Jr. I mean, you've got mm-hmm. him signing a max extension next year, <laughs> so you know you you like that what they add to the lineup. You like having Nurkic mm-hmm. back for a full season. You've got Melo as a sixth man of the year, oh, so I know God, yes. I know you like that. Um, is going to be an MVP candidate. Yeah, it, it's it's all roses right now. So, yeah. uh, can we I get mean, a comeback Nebraska, player of the year? Could that be Nurk? Oh yeah. Oh is for it, sure. Yeah, yeah Nurk could be in that in the running yeah. for that. Yeah. Okay. Um. So probably we should go back to talking about the schedule. You got him going six and zero. Oh. 
to start the season, I'm sure. Uh, no, but seriously, I, I love the offseason they had. I love the pieces they have. I love in just a limited sample size in the preseason, uh, the chemistry they've shown and um, the way they seem to be you know, gelling early. I, I do think there will be some early growing pains, but historically under Terry Stotts and, and, and Neil Olshay, this is a team that gets better as the season goes. And so I, I'm high on this team, um, and, and I think they're going to be a top four, maybe a top three seed in the West. I really think that they have that potential. I think Damian Lillard is going to go ham this year. You've kind of seen some uh, low-level talk about uh, MVP for him. Right. I think he's primed for his best season, If even if his stats might not quite be as, as lofty as they were last year. Uh, so I, I think this team will, will be a top-four team in the West, assuming they stay healthy and, and all that sort of stuff. You, you look at the – Terry Stotts and Neil Olshay uh, are like the – I think the third longest-tenured GM and coach in the NBA, and – Despite a lot of the new pieces, there are many, you know, Damon and CJ have been here for so long. Nurk has been here for so long. It, there's been a lot of continuity in this franchise. Right. And so, you know, with, with the leadership they have, with Dame's leadership, with the talent, the depth they have, the versatility they have, I, I think they're set up for a really nice season. You know what? I, I have to agree with you. I would say the only teams I would put flat out ahead of them would be the Lakers, Clippers, and Nuggets, although I think the Nuggets – situation could be dicey. I think they could be battling the Nuggets for that third spot. Uh, I do think they're going to be better than Houston. I, I just, the vibe with Houston is weird. Although John Wall is going to be extremely motivated and he's probably a lot easier for Harden to deal with than maybe Westbrook was in terms of a, he's not going to take as many bad shots. I don't think. And B he's a better shooter all around than, Harden, than Westbrook. So maybe that helps them. Who knows? But I just feel like they're going to be dysfunctional for some reason. Oklahoma city falls. Utah will be right in the mix. Dallas is going to be a little bit better. I think Memphis, they're going to, have to be without Jaron Jackson for a while, but you know, I think the Blazers are better than them. Phoenix is very interesting to me because of Chris Paul, because he's going to make Aiden better. I think he's going to make um, Booker better. Um, but I would agree with you. I, I, think, I think four, I think five is the floor. Like if they're worse than five, I think it's disappointment. I think if they're five in a tight race for three, like three and five could be separated by three games. Right. And that mm-hmm. could all be, be determined by injuries. I mean, who's mm-hmm. gonna, how many people are going to miss games because of COVID, et cetera, et cetera. So if they're, in there, if they're in that three to five range, I think that's a pretty solid year for them. Oh, uh, yeah, 100 percent. And I think the goal for this franchise right now should be to get home court advantage for the playoffs. The and least, yeah. we don't know what the world is going to look like then, whether there'll be fans in the stands or not. But you want to have home court advantage if you expect to go deep in the and make a deep postseason run. And so I think that should be this franchise's goal. I mean, you're absolutely right. The Lakers and the Clippers are right there. But I think the Blazers, uh, Blazers and the Nuggets and the Jazz and Dallas are all kind of in that next, that second tier of like you said, could be anywhere from three to five or six. Uh, I'm really intrigued also, the Suns, like you mentioned, and, and by New Orleans. What's it going to look like with Williamson playing, you know, uh, not being, you know, held back by minutes right. restrictions and the moves they've made? Did um, you watch him the other day? I did not, no. Dude, he's so ginormous. Oh, he's a beast. Yeah, and, I know, he's and a he's beast. he's so athletic and so agile and, so, and he has such great um, touch around the basket. And if he's healthy all season and takes the next step, they are you're right. They're gonna be they're gonna be tough to deal with, especially him playing alongside someone like Adams to take mm-hmm. some of the you know heat off inside like that. So yeah, I, I agree with you hundred percent there. Anyway, and it, and it well, it's just it's it's the same old story. And the West is just ridiculous. It's yeah. loaded. Uh 
And, you know, you kind of look on the one hand and that that's a challenge, which it is, uh, and it can be a hurdle, but it also can be a benefit. And uh, just facing that competition on a night in night basis keeps you engaged. It prepares you for, for what lies ahead in the playoffs. And, and, you know, this isn't the team of, of years ago. This is a veteran playoff experienced team with lots of guys who have, who have been through this before. And so uh, I think they know what's ahead and I think they know how to, to how to deal with what's ahead. One thing will be interesting in addition to the personnel changes is, is it sounds like there's going to be a, a philosophical change on defense with, uh, you know, Stotts finally r- relenting and adjusting his, his kind of schemes there. And he has the personnel to do it now mm-hmm. also. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see how quickly they kind of adjust to that because they do have the personnel, but you also have to have the schemes to, to match that too. So that'll be worth looking out. But again, and I think we've talked about this before, but this team, because they're so good offensively, they just need to be a top 10, top 12 team defensively uh, in the league. And they are going to take a sizable jump. So if you can right. get, you know, eight, nine, 10 defense, uh, defensive rating in the league, Coupled with that offense, whoo, they're, yeah, they're going to be changes, good. That changes a lot. You, you mentioned the defense. I swear, it seems like it's been six years for me remembering people complaining about how they play the pick and roll uh, because Stotts has always liked to drop the big, right? Mm-hmm. That's it always, mm-hmm. was, always was the complaint, and now he wants he's going to blitz more, do other things. Just real quickly, give me your assessment of that because you watched them. I mean, over the last six years, you've probably watched them 500 times. So mm-hmm. what was 5, your assessment about? <laughs> uh, I mean, it's, uh, he's been a little stubborn about it. Uh, and he has at times tweaked it on the fly to allow for switching, especially with Al Farouk Aminu and Mo Harkless. He kind of gave them more free reign within this kind of system he ran to, to ad-lib more and adjust on the fly. Um, but he really has been kind of stubborn about it, I think in part – because of uh, the success they had with the uh, with the team with Robin Lopez, uh, Robin Lopez, where he kind of came in and changed the defensive um, mentality of the team, and they took that jump. I think they finished eighth or ninth or tenth uh, defensively in the league. Um, you know, they were a, I think a three seed in, in the West. So um, that worked so well that I think he he wanted to stick with it. Now his personnel has changed over the years, and the league has evolved over the years, and so now. You're seeing teams switch a lot more and being a lot more active with guys, you know, popping out on the pick and roll and 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 bigs showing more. And so I think it's a change that will benefit this team, especially with how their personnel is and with with just where the league is. And, you know, it's easy to forget, but Stotts has been around longer than you and I have been born. And so uh, he coached on on uh, with with uh Coach Carl with those Seattle Supersonics teams, the ridiculous teams with Rain Man and and Gary Payton, and they were a very aggressive team that that funneled guys to corners and to spots and and uh, you know chase guys around the court and and so he has been a part of in more aggressive schemes. It's not right. that he doesn't know it; he's just you know has kind of this has been part of his uh, the backbone of his offense so or his defense and so. I guess it's nice to see him tweak finally, uh, especially with the personnel. We'll, we'll just have to see how how his guys adjust. Dame kind of talked about this the other day, didn't he? Yeah, Dame talked about it. He said uh, they're definitely going to be more versatile and, and do more things than they've done in the past, and he believes they have the personnel to do that You know, on paper. Um, so he seemed to be pretty excited about that, yeah, for sure. And, I mean, you've seen teams like Golden State, obviously, has just excelled ridiculously. They switch everything. Um right. They also have Draymond Green and Clay, kind of, 
yeah. very good defender too. Exactly. So a lot of it is incumbent upon personnel. And I think, you know, leading up to, to more recent times, Dame and CJ have really been a liability on defense. I don't think Dame is a liability anymore. And, and I think mm. some people laugh at that idea or scoff at that notion, but he has improved significantly on defense. Uh, he gets his hands on a lot more balls. He, he creates a lot more turnovers and, and kind of steals and stuff like that. And so and he's just more active. And I think he has the ability to to, to help being more active and to switch and, and get out right. on pick and rolls and stuff too. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised to hear – or was not surprised to hear him endorse, endorse these changes. But going back, you know, with the with the roster they had, I think it made more sense to play, you know, how Stotts played in the past – um, but now, again, with the with the roster changes, hey, you got you got to use what what you have, and and this is this more is suited to what he has. Okay, all right. Final thing, we we talked about where we think they might finish. You and I are both in agreement: three, four, five, somewhere in there. Um, I, I forgot to mention Golden State. Golden State, I'm going to take a wait and see approach. I do think Portland's going to be better than Golden State right now without Clay, but we'll see how the new additions work out. And Wiggins, you know, he could take another another jump with them and become a force, but. Aside from where they finished in the standings, if they don't reach the conference finals, could this still be a successful season in your mind? Or do the Blazers, with the changes they've made, do they need to at least make the conference finals for this to be a successful season, given what uh, the moves that they made to try and bolster this roster? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, a lot depends on what the season look like, looks like, You know how they play. Um, do they avoid in, if they avoid injuries and, and they just under, you know, perform, uh, then yes, I, I think that would be a disappointment, but you know, do they face a tough second round matchup and they lose in seven games or something like that? You know, it, a lot right. depends on what happens through the course of it, but I think baseline expectations is, is this team to get, uh, to the conference finals to make some noise. I think they had the talent to do so. Um, I think they had the experience to do so. Uh, it's not going to be easy, as as we've talked about. The the league is, I mean, the West is no joke. If they were um, in the East, I'd feel a lot more comfortable about their chances. <laughs> yeah, the East is very top-heavy, of course. But, um, right. you know, I will throw a little bit of a caveat into all this. Uh-oh, and, here we go. Well, I'm just going to say that. I love caveats. <laughs> well, we, we saw it in Major League Baseball, and, and Lord knows we've seen it in the NFL, man. We don't know the effect of COVID on, right. on how is this – and we haven't seen it on the NBA outside of the bubble. It's one mm-hmm. thing to be in a place isolated from, from the effects of the disease and, and all that and get no positive tests back every single day for more than a month or whatever. It's another thing right now to be traveling across the, around the world. Uh, and, and the NFL just does it once a week. And so these guys are doing it weekly, daily, sometimes going from city to city. And so – I don't know. We need to see how it affects rosters. Hopefully, fingers crossed, of course, that guys stay um, virus-free and, and healthy and all that. But we're going to need to see a little bit. I want to see some some evidence that guys can can stay safe and teams can avoid you know outbreaks uh, before we, we put too much into it. Because, boy, if, if a team has an outbreak and they lose X amount of guys for X amount of days, you know, two weeks is, can be huge in the NBA for just one guy. And if you're talking about multiple, that really throws a wrench into everything. So I guess that's one big caveat. That is a huge unknown to this season. And and man, what a nice sight it's been to see people get vaccinated uh, today, you know, this, this week. Um, And so hopefully we, that push continues and man, uh, 
we, we can get past this and, and more people can get vaccinated and we don't even have to talk about it anymore. But right now it's, it's a reality. Definitely. All right. Well, I appreciate you hopping on Joe with your Florida state hat. Hey, uh, I'm a hurricane fan. So we, we have that little animosity, but you, did you wait, you're from down there though, right? Tallahassee. Yeah. yeah you're yeah, from Tallahassee. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah I yeah. visited there for a few days. It didn't, didn't vibe with me. Really. Not a fan. Like yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird Florida. I mean, nobody, nobody wants to be in Florida. Let, <laughs> let's just be real. Uh, and I can say that cause I was born there. So, right, so yeah. You can say that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And my family still lives there so I can go visit them for a week and then leave. So it's perfect. Um, yeah, but Tallahassee is not Florida. It's not palm trees and, right. and turquoise and pink. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's the, it's the real South. It's the dirty South. It's, it's North. It's Southern Georgia. So absolutely. All right. Yeah, well, yeah. thanks for coming on and we'll, uh, we'll hear from you again next week. All right, man. Hey, hey, right, uh, it, it's it's too bad that uh, you know, I'm the guru, I guess, but you're the rookie, you know, at least on this beat. So I can't because of COVID protocols and stuff. I can't I can't, you know, initiate, initiate you. Yeah, <laughs> I, I got to come up with Give something the business <laughs> the way. So uh, may, maybe the podcast listeners can uh, give some feedback on how we can we can handle that. Or okay, you no, know, maybe these, no swirlies, no swirlies. <laughs> no, 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 we're not we're not high school. We're, we're not junior okay, high. It'll, it'll be adult kind of initiation. Oh, adult. Okay, good. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. All, right. All right, all right, man. Right, we'll Joe. talk to you Take soon, Petrus. All right, bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Blazer Focus Podcast. Please be sure to click that subscribe button and don't forget to leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening.